Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, last week, if you recall, we finished off our dialogue, our conversation with a fellow by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus means, his name means victory among the people, and we're hoping that he got it, but we're going to say goodbye to Nicodemus, right? Well, what was Nicodemus's point? Well, he was there, if you recall, he came to Jesus by night to inquire, basically, of who he was. Who are you, Jesus? What's your mission? We know that you can't do these things except God be with you. And you guys remember what Jesus does? Jesus gives them the shock of his life. You go, what does he do? I think Jesus smiled, the men of joy looked at Nicodemus and said, Nick, you got it wrong, bro. He said, you need to be born again. What? What do you mean born again? No, you need to be born from above. You need to make sure there was a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. It's not about you being a Jew. It's not about heritage. It's not about religion, man. It's about, it's about a work of my spirit. And of course, In the following verses, guys, we see that uh, Jesus lovingly explains how a person can go to heaven. And so that that, that has great application for us. Why? Because as much as he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again, he reminds us that we too must be born again. And I think, it's, I think it's super relevant today in our day and age. Why? Because a lot of people feel like just because they were born in the United States that they're Christians, and that can't be farther from the truth. Just because they were born in Texas does not mean that they're Christian. Just because they hang out with Christians does not mean they're Christians. And just because they go to church does not make anyone a Christian. Jesus made it pretty plain, right? He said, you yeah, need to be born again. You need to make sure you have that encounter with God. Something has to change. Your life has to change. And he goes, and it's a work of what? It's a work of God's Holy Spirit. Well, now we say goodbye to Nicodemus. John now takes the focus off Nick, and he kind of puts it back on his cousin, right? John the Baptist. As we come to verses 22 to 36, we discover that John exhorts his disciples that he is not he is not the bridegroom but he's actually the best man of the bridegroom guys let me read um verse 29 to you but i want to read it to you in the message form because it kind of it kind of sets up what we're going to talk about it says verse 29 of chapter 3 he says the one who gets the bride is by definition the bridegroom we know that right the one who gets the bride should be the groom and he goes amen and he says and the bridegroom's friend is his best man John says, that's me. In a place at his side where he can hear every word, he is genuinely happy. How could he be jealous when he knows that the wedding, when the wedding is finished, that the marriage is off to a good start? That's why he says, my cup is running over. You go, pastor, what did he just say? If you're taking note, jot this down. John the Baptist is now the best man, if you will. And if you look up that word best man, it can also mean friend. It's the best man friend to Jesus. So I was thinking, oh, John the Baptist is the best man or best friend. And I was thinking, well, how does that play with us? And as I got to reading this, it got me to thinking about our weddings, And I've been the best man at a couple of weddings. As a matter of fact, I was the best man and pastor at one. So I got to do the ceremony, and then I got to stand over here and be the best man. It was cool. It was cool. So I thought, 
I really wonder, know if we really understand what the duties are of a best man. Some of you may have been a best man at your friend's wedding. Some of you may just been a friend. I mean, you could even take this and go, well, it can also apply to the matron of honor on the bride's side. But for the sake of our study, we're going to look at it as the best man. The reason this caught my attention, guys, is because a lot of us, we should have the attitude of a John the Baptist. We should be like him. Why? Well, every one of us in this room is called to be the best man, the best friend, or the best woman to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what did I do? I said, let's see what the internet says. Let's see what the internet says and find out if John was truly performing the duties of a best man, right? In the message, it says he was the best man. John, are you doing that? Here's what I found. In an article written by superweddings.com, here is what it says. The duties of a best man. Now, take it for what it's worth. Best man, best woman, matron of honor, friend. Notice what he says. He says, you've been asked to be the best man at a wedding. What an honor. Someone clearly thinks very high of you. Flattered to the hilt, the article says, you happily agree. Hey, I'll do it. But now that you've gotten yourself into this, you realize you may not be entirely sure what you're supposed to do as the best man. Just what exactly is the role of the best man? What are the responsibilities of a best man, the duties of a best man? And what wedding etiquette does the best man need to know? So many questions. Well, now that you've been selected to wear those shoes, you're feeling uneasy. Why? Well, you don't want to come off looking foolish, and you don't want to get anything wrong. You go, so what is the best man? Here's what I want you to jot down. Think about what the article is saying. The best man is the person selected to stand up for the groom at the wedding. That's what a best man, he's selected. He also serves as a legal witness to the marriage. During the ceremony, the best man stands to the groom, to the groom's right side. So who should be the best man at a wedding? Well, if you're asking this, you're second-guessing yourself. Why? He says, because now the groom picked you. The best man may be the best friend of the groom, a buddy of the groom. He may be a brother, a stepbrother, a cousin of the groom. He may be the father, the stepfather of the groom. And so he, the article goes on to say, so what are the duties of the best man? Well, according to superweddings.com, he says that you as the best man are attended. You, you attend the fitting for tuxedos and suits at the scheduled time. Okay, the best man should show up to get the tuxedo. You are to attend any pre-wedding meetings or parties for the wedding's attendance. You are to attend the wedding rehearsal, the rehearsal dinner. One day of the wedding, on the day of the wedding, you arrive at the groom's house prior to the ceremony to provide him with moral support. So I don't know if the groom's like freaking out at that day, but you should go over to his house, say, you're okay, get in the car, taking you to the church, right? That's exactly, I mean, I didn't, did you all know that was a duty? That's a duty, right? You're supposed to go over moral support, right? And I don't know if you're like, come on, cheering on, do it, you can do it. I'll put on your tux. That's okay. And I don't know if you've ever been a groom going, I don't know, I don't know, but that's according to them. And then you are to ensure that he gets to the church on time. That's according to superweddings.com. Now, I stopped and I went and I thought, did John the Baptist have the internet? Did he actually know what he, he should be doing? You know, I mean, did he know? Or did he just know Jesus was the bridegroom and that he was called to come alongside and support him? 
Well, church, listen, before we jump into our text, we must remember a couple of things. If you're taking note, jot this down. If you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus who's born again, okay, then the first thing you need to know is you are the bride of Christ. You are the bride. If you here and, are, and, and, and you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you are what you call the, we're called the bride of Christ, okay? He is, in fact, the what? The bridegroom. The bridegroom. Now, in our culture, we knew it growing up as the groom. It was never, I never said that's the bride. We just, the, the, the bride and the groom. The bride and the groom. That's, so, so we are the bride of Christ. Number two, if you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus, then whether man, woman, you are actually his best man, woman, when it comes to being a witness for Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to understand. <clears throat> Today, our text does not focus on us being the bride of Christ. It actually focuses, focuses on us on being what? Being the best man, the best man, the best friend of who? Of being a witness to the groom. And that's why I'm calling this message, guys, duties of a best man slash woman to Jesus. The duties. Let's see if we can figure out the duties if that we're doing this. Picking it up in verse 22 of John chapter 3, it says, Now after these things, Jesus and his disciples came to the land of Judea. And there he remained with them and baptized and baptized. After his conversion, guys, the next day or two, Jesus and his disciples, they come up to Judea. Now, Jesus began and his disciples began the work of what? Of baptism, right? And Jesus, together with his disciples, they began baptizing the, and apparently it was a similar work to John. Jesus is over there and people are coming to him. John continues his account in the life of Jesus with the emphasis that he did in Judea. You go, why? Well, the other Gospels don't focus on the work of Jesus only in the region of the Galilee. Here, John goes, no, no, let me remind you, here's some work in the area of Judea. And that's why he just kind of gives us. Now, church, when you read Scripture, there will be times when you go, this seems out of place. But you can understand that some of the Gospels will mention it and some won't. After he has this wonderful conversation with Nicodemus, after he gets some rest, he says, guys, let's continue with the mission of God. And then, so he says, let's go to the land of Judea. And there he stayed there, and, and he began the work of baptism. Verse 23. Now, John, right, we know him as John the Baptist, also was baptizing in Enon near Salim because there was much water. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Now, we've got to break this down for just a minute, okay? Because verses 23 and 24 gives us some wonderful insight. You go, what's that? Well, there's a place called Enon near Salim, and nobody really knows where it is. That's first and foremost. You go, where is that? They think it's pretty much near Samaria. Nobody can kind of pinpoint. But I, thought, I found it very interesting, and you go, Why? Well, if you look up the meaning, Anon means springs or waters, many waters, and Salim means peace. And I thought, guess where John is? John is doing the work of Jesus. He's doing the work as the forerunner, and what's he doing? He's baptizing people, guys, by the springs or the waters of peace. And many came to be baptized. Now, check it out. When you and I make a decision to follow Jesus... 
We open up our heart and we invite him inside and he takes away our sins. Okay, the next step should be baptism. Baptism. And when we're baptized, guys, it's, it's almost like this, this baptism of peace. Why? Because now you're identifying with the one who saved you. And it's so amazing. It's so amazing. And, and here, John is doing this, 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 what? It's this baptism of peace. And I think it's just a little bit, a little nugget right there of truth that we go, yeah, you know what? That's true. That's true. I've never baptized anybody. I've never baptized anybody who was, who, 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 who wasn't at peace at this point. Unless I held them down too long and then they got a little bit crazy there. You know, it's like, then they weren't at peace anymore. Think about the baptism. The Greek word is baptizo, right? Baptizo, where we get a, where we get a, a, a immersion. And John was baptizing. Now, remember, Jesus is on the scene, so they couldn't be baptized into what identity because because they're not identified with Christ yet. So they're being baptized unto repentance. Repentance. John is calling people to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and it's almost like our day and age, guys, where the Lord is shouting from every aspect of our world saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I'll tell you one thing I know for sure. I know that it's very factual. You ready? That Jesus is coming back for us. That's a fact. When Jesus is coming back, I don't know. It could be today. It could be in two weeks. It could be in two years. I don't know. I've asked him, Lord, tell me. And he said, my people need to wake up. And we need to be baptized into repentance, guys. Church, listen, when we pray, when we pray, we need to pray the way Nehemiah prayed. It's not, Lord, those people have sinned. And I've been going to church since 1975, faithfully. We have sinned. We have sinned, Lord. Have mercy on us. And John is baptizing into repentance. Well, guess what? It tells us here, guys, that John was baptizing and people were coming to him. And it says, look at verse 24 with me. For John was not thrown into prison. Now, this is one of those verses where I'm like, okay, hold up, time out, time out. Okay, so listen, I know a lot about John the Baptist, right? First of all, listen, it's Jesus' cousin. It's, hey, cuz, what up? This is Jesus' cousin. That's the first thing we know. The second thing we know is that he was in God's perfect will doing what God called him to do. Do you realize as a baby when, 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 they, when he was in the womb that he was like, he jumped Why he knew the spirit. He was just, this is, this is John the Baptist. You guys with me? But, but, but did you just read 24? It said he hadn't been thrown into prison. Are you serious? Well, 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 pastor, that doesn't make sense, right? Because I've heard a lot of teachings on the radio that tells me that if I give my life to Jesus, everything's going to be amazing. It's going to be good. I'm going to have, um, my bills are going to be paid. 
I mean, all of this stuff goes on, and my, my rebellious kids, my prodigal kids, they're going to come home. It's going to be wonderful. All I have to do is say yes to Jesus. And I'm going, wait a minute, hold up, hold on. John was not, th- John was not yet thrown into, why did John get thrown into prison? This is, this is Jesus' boy. This is, this is the forerunner. You know why? Because this is very real world we live in, church. Listen. We think that if we're, we're in God's perfect will, that we're supposed to live happy lives with no problems. Yet we see that John the Baptist gives us a great example, church. And I don't mean to, I went to Calvary and it was so, it was so depressing. I'm just telling you, I want to teach you reality. The reality is that sometimes we can be in God's perfect, wonderful will and it still not end up the way we think it should end up. Why? Because if we were thinking that John the Baptist was alive today, that he should get what? The three car, the three chariot house. He should have everything he wanted. Why? Because he's the forerunner. He's, but it's, it doesn't always work out that way, right? Did you know that it does not end well for John, right? You, you know what happens to John? He eventually gets killed. Eventually gets killed for the sake of the Lord. But if you were to talk to John the Baptist today and you were in heaven, you were like, hey, man, what was that like? You know, I thought, man, you know, he would be like, listen, I was in God's perfect will and it ended the way it should be for me. Well, didn't you think that, I mean, but John, Jesus was alive. Jesus was right there. Hey, man, listen, Jesus, get my, come, come and save me, man, Jesus. It didn't, right? so we got to be so careful. Pastor, what's your point? Well, my wife has been saying this a lot, and she says this, and you can jot this down. She says, run the mile you're in. Run the mile you're in. It means don't look, don't look three miles down. Don't look at the two miles you've run. Run the mile you're in, trusting Jesus the whole time. Wherever you are right now, run in that mile. Run in that mile. Back to our story, verse 25. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he, who's he, guys, Jesus, who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, listen, he's baptizing, and all are coming to him. Guys, picture the scene, okay? There's John the Baptist. There's this dispute. They come to John. We don't know what the, what the precise nature of the dispute was. John's baptism, you know, basically certainly had its element of purification. And perhaps some of the Jewish leaders objected to the way maybe John was doing things. And let me say this to you. Listen, when God begins to move, in a small fellowship like ours, or God begins to move and he begins to, and he begins to do things that we had never seen before, there's always somebody who's going to object. Well, God doesn't work that way. How do you know? We want to see God do incredible things. And so there's a dispute, right? But here's what I find. Here's what I find. They come to John the Baptist, right? His disciples, and they're like, Rabbi, John, hey, listen, Jesus, listen. He's baptizing over there. 
And here's what I think is funny. And all are coming to him, right? Everybody in the whole wide world is coming to Jesus. At the, to, to be, and here's what they're doing. They're trying to protect their rabbi, right? They're trying to go, hey, what's going on? What would you and I do at this point? What? Well, I thought we had equal ministry. Listen, I need to put it, I need to send a text to Jesus and say, hey, what gives, dude? But listen, I, I've got plenty of disciples. You got, there's plenty of disciples to share, man. No, 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 no. No. You see, at this point, John's disciples seemed alarmed. His disciples are like, what's going on? But here's what I want you to note, guys. John, the, the, the best man, guys, it didn't bother him one bit. Why? Because John would now allow envy or fickle crowds to make him forget his mission. To announce that the Messiah had come and to step back and then let the attention be focused on the Messiah. Here's what you want to jot down. This is amazing attitude of the best man. This is what the best man should be. If the groom comes to you and says, hey, bro, can you be my best man? This is exactly the attitude we should have. What? Let him have the spotlight. The bridegroom has come, and then he got out of the way. Pat, listen, listen, there's all these people coming. He's like, man, are you serious? Are you serious? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Church, listen, if you're taking note, you know this, right? You know our core values. Our basic core values are what? Love God, love people, and live radically. But, but a sub a sub-core value of loving God is this, guys. It says this. It's all about Jesus. Can I get an amen? And then it goes on to say, we're going to preach the gospel with all of our heart, die, and be forgotten. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. That's our core value. That's who we are. Listen, it's not about us. We, Calvary Chapel Lubbock is not about the people in the Calvary Chapel. It's about Jesus. It's about us pointing to Jesus. That's our core value. We're going to love God. You've heard me say this before, guys, and, and you'll hear me say it a thousand times. Calvary Chapel Lubbock doesn't save you. Only Jesus saves you. Pastor Ben doesn't save you. Only Jesus saves you. So who are we going to preach? We're going to preach Jesus. Well, we're living in a day and age, Pastor, where Jesus is not popular. That's because too many people are stepping up and wanting to take the limelight, but not John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, no, 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 no. If you and I are going to be Jesus' best man or best woman, guys, we must step back and let the attention be focused on Jesus. Verse 27, John answered and said, notice what he says, a man can receive nothing unless it be given to him from heaven. You yourself bear witness of me that I said, I am not the Christ but I have been sent before him, right? Did you catch what he just said? Here's a good duty. Here's a duty of the best man, right? We, we learned it in superweddings.com. You go, what's that? Trust that God has called you to do this. He picked you, right? Did, did you not see that? A man can receive what? Nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. John goes, I'm the best man because God, he asked me to. I don't know what I'm doing, but he asked me to. <laughs> ha! 
And if you're honest, you go to your friend, he goes, I don't know why he asked me. Paul, I don't know why he asked me. Why did he ask you? I don't know, but I know this. He asks us. He asks us. Listen, you need to square with the fact, guys, that you have been selected by the groom, guys, to be the best man or the best woman at the wedding. You go, well, how did he select me? He sent his only son. He loved you so much, and he says, man, I want you at the wedding. I want you, I want you there. And he loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross. And if you'll put your faith and trust in him, man, you, you've been called. You've been called. There you go. There you go. What was, what was John's, what was his mission? He says, you yourselves bear witness of me that I'm, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before. John was sent only to prepare the way for Jesus. And I think, guys, isn't that what we're called to do? You go, what do you mean? We're all called to prepare the way for Jesus to live in our hearts that all men, basically for all men, he needs to see Jesus radiate, right? When you and I say is Jesus is alive, where, do, where does he see it? He sees it in our hearts. He sees it in the way we walk. He sees it in the way we talk to the cashiers at the grocery store. He sees it in the way we talk to our wives. He sees it in the way we talk to the waitress who has to work on Sunday. We lovingly, as Jesus is alive, I want to see it in your heart. Oh, Lord, I'm so guilty at times. I can't believe we were hurry up and I get so mad and so angry. Why? I'm always in a hurry and the Lord's like, dude, chill. People need to see Jesus in your heart. Second thing is, church, is that I think we need to we need to stand up and start preparing the way of his return. He's coming back, isn't he? He's coming back. Uh, th- guys, think think about this for just a second. This is this is a little extra. I won't even charge you for this one, okay? Think about think about your day. Get up, maybe let's just call it a Saturday morning. Get up and Pour yourself a cup of coffee, and I got your Bible, and, and there you are. Sit down, and maybe in the background is some worship music. You're just going to have a little sweet time with the Lord, and you're drinking coffee, and you're reading, and all of a sudden, you hear in your spirit this trumpet. Something doesn't feel right that morning. Something's not home, but something's different. And so you're sitting there, and you go, man, something, and, and I just... And you just praise the Lord, and, and, and the next thing you know, the trumpet sounds. And then, there you are in the presence of the Lord. And you're thinking, what just happened? Am I dead? What happened? And then you realized that he said, hey, harpazo, come on up. Come on up, just like he said in what? In Thessalonians. I mean, what a glorious day, guys. What a glorious day. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Here's where, here's where I stress out. Here's where I I'm, I'm struggle. I know that day's coming soon. And my heart is burdened for those that don't know Jesus. Because one day I'm going to close my eyes or I'm going to be up with him. I mean, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. And you, I think most of you are ready. All of you are ready. Let's go home. Let's go home. We're homesick. 
But the reason that we stick around is because we go, man, we've got family and friends and co-workers and and it breaks my heart. I don't know how to reach them, Lord. Help me. Help me reach them. Help me reach them. And so we're called, guys, to what? To tell people about a soon return. They're going to call you a Jesus freak? Yeah. They're going to call you super religious? Yeah. They're going to call you names? Probably. But that's okay. We're going to do it in love. We're going to do it in love. Verse 29. He who has the bridegroom is the, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, there it is, guys, the best man, the friend, is stands and hears them and rejoices greatly because, why? He hears the, the groom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Look at verse 30. He must increase, I must decrease. Let me give you another duty of a best man, best woman. You ready? He rejoices in the voice of Jesus. He rejoices in the word of God. You know what? That's what he's talking about. Joy in the midst of him and allow him to increase, not us. Hey, listen, here's what's going on. You know what? Listen, I'm going to point to Jesus more than anything. Listen, let, let, me, let me just give you just a quick, let me give you just a quick word of advice. You ready? When somebody comes up to you and says, you know what? Can I talk to you? And I'm going through this, this, and this. Guys, our response should always be give them the word of God. And if you're going to give them your opinion, because maybe you've gone through that, just say, this is my opinion, but more importantly, I want to give you the word of God. Why? Because we want to point people to Jesus. We want to point people to Jesus. You see, John the Baptist, he wanted his followers to know all of these arrangements fulfilled his joy. He says, are you kidding me? This is great. And one might even say, well, didn't John the Baptist lose his congregation right here? And yes, he did. But that's okay. He was happy about it. John was happy. Why? Because he lost his congregation to Jesus. And he goes on to say, I think, words that you and I must say. He says, I, guess what? He must increase. I must decrease. John the Baptist understood that it was good for him to become less visible and known for Jesus to become more visible and known. In our day and age, church, we're getting to the place where where it's the opposite. And too many people, too many men are standing up and promoting their own ministry, their own agenda, their own hearts, and they're not pointing people to Jesus. And you know what? The bottom line is, is that, is that listen, it's a, it's a very delicate situation because pride is, wow. You start, I mean, I mean, I think of Saul. Do you remember King Saul? Do you remember when, when they were looking for him? He was so humble to be, to start off with. He's hiding behind. He's like, I'm not going to be king. And he's hiding. He's like, what are they talking about? And then all of a sudden, what did, what did Saul do? He began to read his own press clippings. He began to read and believe what people were saying about him. Oh, he was great. He's always good looking. Oh, he's, he's amazing. And he began to believe that. And he walked away from Jesus, you could say. And I think it's important, guys. Guys, I think it's, it should be, you know what, every motto of 
of every Christian, especially leaders among God's people, Jesus should become greater and more visible, and the servant should become less and less. You go, Pastor, the point, you want to know, you want to know another duty of the best man, the best woman, the friend? We need to walk in humility. Pastor, you say that all the time. I know, because we have a hard time walking in humility. We need to be humble. We need to walk in humility. John the Baptist shows us that even though we might be popular or outwardly successful, we need to be humble. The gifts that you have, the gifts that you've been given, guys, we should always point them back to Christ. Pastor, that was an amazing sermon. (laughs) I know. Isn't it great? I'm just one of God's, just one of God's chosen. Hallelujah. Pastor, you really spoke, well, I don't know what God would do without me in this world. What should we do? Really? Praise God. Praise the Lord. Pastor, you, you know what? That, that worship was, you can play the guitar like that. Oh, praise the Lord. You know what? It's God's given ability. I'm nothing. Nothing. Guys, a a very good duty of a best man, guys, is to walk in humility. You know, at this point, you could say that John the Baptist had the fame in the crowds of of that of modern celebrity pastors. That that's that's what they only dream of. And yet, guys, he was a he was an example of genuine humility. Why? Because he told his disciples. I must decrease. He needs to increase. And then we come, guys. um, The last section here, verse 31. Now, here's what's very interesting. We pick it up verse 31, and it's actually kind of where verse 13 left, right? So so you got to remember to read it like this. 31 kind of starts where, where verse 13 left off. Let me read verse 13. It says, No one has ascended, Jesus is speaking, no, is, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Then he goes on to talk, but notice in verse 31, he says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all, okay? So John wanted everyone to know at this point, and I think it's important for us, John wanted everyone to know where Jesus came from. Jesus was different from any other prophet. Jesus came from heaven. It says right there in Scripture, no one has ascended to heaven, verse 13, and he says, he who comes from above is above all. If there's ever a question in who Jesus Christ is, guys, we always go to the scripture and he tells us he is not a prophet. He is, I mean, he is a prophet. He's a good teacher, but he's more than that. He's our, he's God in the flesh. And that's what we've been studying. Now, just a side note to all my Bible students, okay? At this point, there is some debate going on whether it's John the Baptist still speaking or actually John writing it. Some people go, oh, well, wait a minute, it's changed. The, the tonality has changed. The structure has changed. And, but, but in context, it's, it's what? It's, it seems that we were talking about John the Baptist. Well, here's what I figured out. You ready? We'll let, other, we'll let everybody else debate that. 
we'll stick and, and we'll just listen to what he says. You ready? Verse 32. And what he has seen and heard, Jesus testifies. No one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. Here's what he's saying. You guys ready? Anyone who examines this evidence, anyone who looks, anyone who studies, will end up putting their faith and trust in God. Notice what he says. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. Isn't that what you do every single day when you call yourself a Christian? You go, man, I've studied it. I believe it. I know. And then I love that it says here, guys, that, that God does not give his spirit by measure. He doesn't give his spirit in bits and pieces. Oh, here, you can have a little. He, he pours it out on us. The Father loves the Son and has given us all things into his hand. Verse 36, guys, and we're going to close with verse 36. You ready? He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Now, let me stop right there, okay? Let me, let me just say this real quick. This sounds like it's the Apostle John writing. You go, why? Because it's real similar to First, first John. First John says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So if there's a debate going on, I'm going, I don't know. It really sounds like the Apostle John. But I don't want you to miss what he said. I don't want you to miss what he said, right? You go, why? Because here is something vitally important for us in our day and age. You go, what's that? He says this, he who believes in the Son of God has everlasting life. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have everlasting life. You go, what does it mean to believe? Guys, it means to surrender, to admit, to put your faith and trust in him. I, I want you to see something. I want you to see something real quick. So many people, when you talk about Jesus, so many people, they, they well, am I going to have to change? Am I going to have to cut my hair? Do I have to do everything different? I don't know. I'm not going to. It didn't say any of that, did it? What did it say? If you put your faith in, and, and, and here's what we do. We give him Jesus and we let Jesus do the work. Too many of us sit here with our arms crossed and say, you have to look a certain way. You have to act a certain way. You have to be a certain way in order for Jesus to love you. And that's not what it says. It says this, listen, he, the, it says this, he who believes in the son has everlasting life. That's good news. Jesus, I wish you would have stopped there. I wish, I wish that was the end. I wish we could move on to chapter 4. But, but he says, but listen to me. Listen. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That word wrath we sometimes think is this ferocious, very fast, but it's more of a slow going, come on. So what are you saying, Pastor? 
He who does not believe, avoids and distrusts the Son, guys, will not see life. He's still in darkness under God's wrath. And that's why, that's why I must make this plea to you. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you? See, church, we, we, we come here, and it has to be more than, than a motivational speech, and it has to be more than the sermon of the week, and it has to be more than, church has to be more. We have to encounter God, and the first thing we must ask ourselves is, do I have eternal life? Am I saved? Am I saved? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? Because, because Jesus just says, if we don't, if you're, if you're what? If you avoid or you don't trust the Lord or you haven't put your faith and trust him, he says this, and, and, and here's what scares me, guys. He says that you're not going to see life. And the wrath of God is going to abide on him, and I don't want that. Not when God stands. I mean, we sang it earlier today. God stands at the altar says, come, come. Church, my plea to you is, have you 100% surrendered your heart to Jesus? There's a lot of times, guys, that... Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we have the honor of being the best man to you, Jesus. And that we want to glorify you and we want to lift you up. Lord, I, I know this factually. I know you're coming back for us, God. I also know this factually, Lord. The Bible says that it's appointed for men to die. So, Lord, there's, there's, there might be someone here that, that won't live to see tomorrow. That's a fact. But it's also a fact, God, that you told us last week and even today that if we put our faith and trust totally on you, that we surrender our lives, that we quit, we quit this inner civil war with you, that we just trust you, and that we surrender, that we'll have everlasting life, eternal life with you. So, Lord, we're going to take you at your word. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, maybe you're here today and you hadn't been real serious about Jesus. And you, and you realize you realize that, man, there's some stuff going on. There's some, there's some, there's some things happening. And, and maybe you realize the other day, Pastor, I saw this moon and it looked red and it was big and I don't know what's going on. As your pastor, I would say to you, listen to what he's saying. Maybe today he's asking you to surrender your life. You go, Pastor, what do I have to do? 
All you have to do is just, just surrender to him. In a minute, I'm going to give you opportunity just to raise your hand and say, and to say, pray for me. I want, to, I want to be right with Jesus. I want to be right with Jesus. Well, pastor, why do I have to raise my hand? I want God to see your heart. He's here today, and he wants to see your heart, and he wants to save you, and he wants to love you. And it's not about any other person in this room. It's about you. It's about how much God loves you. Well, pastor, what if everybody in here saved? And I say, amen, let's get on that train, and let's go home one day. But I never want to leave an opportunity for the Holy Spirit of God to bring you into his family. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, how many of you would hear, Pastor, would you, would you pray for me, Pastor? I, I want to surrender my life to Jesus once and for all. I've been playing church. I've been, I've been messing around. I'm not really sure. But today, I want to give my heart, my life, my soul, everything that I am to Jesus. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm saved. If that's you, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you that way, would you just simply lift up your hand? That's all you got to do is so I can pray with you. You say, Pastor, pray for me. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. I, I always want to give the gospel message, Lord, that we're saved, that we're saved, that we're following you. I love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.